0: This is Back to Excited with your host, Arvind and Acting the Foolman. from Pension Plan Puppets. Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 125. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com, it's Acting the Foolman. Hi, everybody. Uh, how's it been going, Foolman. How are you enjoying your holiday season? Uh, it's fine. It's a little quiet. How about you? I mean, it's of all the holiday seasons I've experienced, it is one of them.
1: <laughs> this is certainly something.
0: Yeah, Can't it's that. <laughs> Christmas did occur and <laughs> it is gone, and we're still here. Yes,
1: and this and isn't the greatest still, achievement of all in this year?
0: Yeah, per, so. I'm one this year, really is. Um, so while we're here, we might as well talk a little bit of hockey. And, mm-hmm. um, the NHL is kind of ramping up. There was we really should have probably covered some of the news items with regards to the NHL and, you know, the the various states it was in with respect to, oh, you know, is the season going to happen? What's, you know, the division rules, the provinces might object to Canadian teams playing in their home provinces and traveling. But all that stuff was, frankly, very, very boring. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, like, at at some point, just tell me when you're ready to play hockey, and then we'll we'll go from there. Uh, Because it felt like for every day for a week, the news was basically... The NHL and NHLPA hope to iron out something with governments. People are optimistic, but we don't know. And, and Pierre LeBron be kept
1: being like, "This is a big week, like five weeks in a row."
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it it's like the um, it's like oh, this is a really important, really important game in uh, in this in the season, right? So well, they're all important, right? They're all worth mm-hmm. the
1: same. Yeah, more or less.
0: Uh, so, so yeah. Uh, it seems like things are going to happen now. I think they're targeting Jan 13th. Uh, players are back in, I guess, their home areas, isolating, um, which is which is good, I guess. Uh, the Leafs released like their schedule, which is, I guess, some sort of sign of confidence. Like, okay, this is actually happening. I haven't looked at the schedule yet because I assume it's, you know, it's, it's us facing every Canadian team like ten times. So it
1: is indeed that. <laughs> there isn't that much interest. Uh, it's intrigue. quite something to behold. So, and you're gonna see, you know. Three in a row is or the odd four in a row.
0: It's yeah. going to be pretty wild. So, I, I'm, I can say from a site perspective, it's going to be really hard to find people to recap Leafs versus Flames 7 in March.
1: Yes, there are going to be some lulls in the season. We've been talking about that. It's like, is this going to drag more than the ordinary season does?
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm
1: kind of of two minds about it because I actually think that about... 60 games is the ideal length for the NHL season anyway, and so this year it's 56. Because I feel like the season really drags between, I'm going to say, games 60 and 75. You know, like, that's when you really get into the sort of, okay, we mostly know what's going to happen here. And you're just waiting, hoping the Leafs don't totally implode. So, yeah, I, I don't know if that's going to be any worse, but we're going to see quite a lot of familiar faces. Over and over yeah. and over again. So oh,
0: we're gonna be so sick of like Matthew Kachuk and Brady Kachuk, all the Kachuks, really. Yeah. Uh, of of Brendan Gallagher, of you know whoever the hell Vancouver is paying six million dollars to on their fourth line.
1: Jay Beagle, motherfuckers, let's dance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> um, yeah, it's gonna be uh, quite an adventure of a season. I'd like to just point something out as an aside. I keep seeing people who seem like, you know, capable enough people, and they're saying things like, okay, there are seven teams in the Canadian division, so that divides evenly from 56. And no, it doesn't, because the Leafs play the other six teams. They don't play themselves.
0: They have that counted as a game. I would argue that the Leafs play themselves very often, actually.
1: (laughs) Wow, I left that one right over the plate for you. (laughs) Just slam it. Yeah, so anyway, uh, it is going to be a sortly sort of uh, a sort of imbalanced schedule. They won't play every team exactly the same number of times. They will play every Canadian team more than enough, probably for your satisfaction. Um it's going to yeah, as we said, it's going to get a little bit heated in this country, uh, mm-hmm. which is probably for the best in some ways it gives people something to focus on. Um we were talking about what counts as a success for the Leafs. Like, what things should they be looking for in this season?
0: Right. Because the time for moral victories has, has long passed, right? Right. You, you, you know, can yeah. argue for moral, moral victories when Matthews, Nienander, and Marner are making $3 million combined. Mm-hmm. Less so when they're making, doing some quick math in my head, $30 million combined.
1: Jesus. I did, <laughs> Anyway... Sorry, I'm still working through some stuff. So, (laughs) yeah, and I think that that's sort of a balance that we try to strike here is we acknowledge on some level, it's like, look, the playoffs are kind of crazy. Anybody can sort of lose to anybody. Even if you're a strong favorite in a playoff series against another playoff team, you're probably like a 65-35 favorite or something like that. Like, it's not that lopsided. And so, yeah, we're kind of... Dealing with all that on one hand. And on the other hand, it's like, we cheer for the team so that they can hopefully at one point win. And the Leafs have to win a playoff series. I don't know what else to say now. Like, I know that that can be a bit unfair and they could be quite good and just not get the bounces. Or could get undone by injuries, especially in a season that may have more absences due to COVID. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's hard to bake all of that in. But, like, from a specific team perspective, it's like, you just, you got to go out and win something, guys.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. No more yeah, messing it, around. It, it's been. Well, since we acquired John Tavares, so the last two years essentially, we've been projected as a great to elite team on paper. Mm-hmm. And then have turned out to be more or less a, a good team. Right? right? Not And decidedly not an elite team.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, so. Yeah, like at, at some point, something has to give. You have to. You have to give people a reason to to believe, you know, the what's on what's on the paper, right? So Dom, the of the Athletic, does these really, you know, good uh, league-wide team previews, and like the comments, he's going to have the Leafs very high up because the Leafs on paper have a very nice roster, mm-hmm. and that that in some sense was strengthened this year, right? Um, because Janssen and Captain, who are gone, had really weak seasons, uh, and you could possibly expect them to be replaced by their less heralded. You know, replacements and, you know, their, their, their play from last year would be replicated pretty evenly. Um, and then we acquired TJ Brody, who was, you know, one of the better defensemen on the market. Mm-hmm. And short up a position of weakness. So, yeah, the, the Leafs are going to be high up in his rankings. And the comment section is going to be like, Law laughs, haven't won a playoff series. Uh, Kyle, dumbass, is <laughs> not so, so terrible. Lou Lamarel would be way better. Mm. Um, God, the athletic comment section is freaking terrible. <laughs> it really is. I know, just...
1: I know and you know what i feel for them because you know they were like oh they believe that because they had a subscription base that it would be perhaps a little bit more refined than what you Turns see on the
0: fucking morons can spend money too
1: <laughs> it was a noble idea i, I sympathize yeah. more than this because you know like we've had some comments on our oh, website yeah. that were uh woo quite something but yeah so they're they're experiencing what i think anyone who runs any kind of forum-ish website
0: does. Especially but. one that attracts like all sorts of fans. I mean, if mm. someone, no one really, not no one, very few people want to come to a, a place full of Leaf fans and just be like, just be a dick to Leaf fans because it, it's fun for like maybe a few minutes and then after a while, it's just like, okay, it, it's a bit one note. Yeah. Right? But when you have a place where, you know, even the biggest fan base is at most 20% of the overall commenters, then, yeah, you get like warring in comment sections.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, so it'll go. And you know, for the record, like the Leafs have objectively done a lot to earn being made fun of.
0: Oh, for sure. Like I for feel sure. like it
1: has to be acknowledged. Like I would want hundred percent dunk all over the Montreal Canadiens if they had the recent track record that the Leafs do. I make fun of them for other reasons.
0: Yeah, but you the know, the Leafs are eminently <laughs> you know make funnable.
1: Yeah, they're like um, the Knicks of hockey. Pretty know? much, they're right? The slightly more competent Knicks. Yeah. Like at least they're making the playoffs, but still the grandeur and the failure, and the market size are all pretty much the same proportion. And, uh, to yeah, board.
0: I think the the delusions of grandeur is the biggest thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Right, where it's like, and it, it was only undercut by the fact that in one case we were actually right and our delusions of grandeur and being able to attract free agents actually worked and we got John Tavares. Yeah. Um, and then the the grand irony is that it, we've had the exact same results with him without him, which to be clear. It's not mm. John Tavares' fault, and there, there's already been, like, you know, we've talked about this before, there's already been comments from local dumbasses about, oh, the Leafs shouldn't have signed John Tavares, uh, it's taking up too much of the cat for the other players or, and it's made the team worse, it's like, no, John Tavares is not the fucking problem, he is fine. Yeah. We, we, need some, we need some forwards who can defend, and also, if Morgan Riley could understand what happened south of the blue line, that would be good too.
1: Well, we can't ask for too much of life. Yeah, but I mean, you know what the book is going to be on Tavares, though, is that either the Leafs are going to win a cup with him or the commentary is going to be, see, bad idea.
0: Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll be held
1: to that binary success failure standard where it's just, you make this investment,
0: people expect to see a cup. Yeah, I, I honestly, I be, I want to win a, a playoff series or two just so um, Tavares doesn't get as much shit because he doesn't deserve it. He's been no. what we asked for.
1: No, he's an eminently nice, kind of boring dad. Yeah. Like, he's just. I'm I, very I, I know that. I know that there's this whole conspiracy theory in Long Island about how they think that he intimated that he wasn't going to leave, and so they didn't deal him with the trade deadline or something like that. Well, he, he said he didn't. He said
0: um, he, uh, he had a no trade call at that point, I'm pretty sure. Because he was, you know, a UFA. That was a UFA year, uh, mm. and I think he said, "I'm not waving my no-trade clause. I don't want to move." Okay, right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I don't want to be traded it is very different from "I'm going to resign here forever."
1: Yeah, that's actually something that I think about a lot in the context of Tampa, who are in the process of resolving their various cap
0: issues. <laughs> they resolve it the way I resolve my problems by ignoring it and hoping <laughs> them to <will> go away. <laughs>
1: Except in their case, they mostly get away with it. Yeah, but, true. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I was talking about this with a, a friend of mine, about guys like Andre Palat and Alex Kalorn, Tyler Johnson, who all have some version of a no-trade clause. And we were talking about, you know, do you feel pressure? Do you feel like you're obstructing the team? How does that affect the dressing room if you don't wave? And I was thinking, well... You negotiated this into a contract, and the Tampa Bay Lightning agreed to it. And if the Tampa Bay Lightning had come in and said, look, no, no trade clause whatsoever, then the natural response on the part of the player would be to demand more money. Mm -hmm. So I do feel like I want to plant a little flag there just to say it's not incumbent on the player to waive
0: a no trade clause. Ever. Like, they can if they want to, but We got into this from a least perspective with the Muskoka Five, right? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And I felt the same way about it then, even if, yeah, I sure would have liked it if we could have flipped those players. But the reality is, when you negotiate this into an agreement, it's the kind of thing that if it were going the other way, everyone would have said, well, sorry, read the contract. And that's how business works, basically.
0: So if it's a business one way, it's a business the other way.
1: Exactly. Uh, And so be it. But now that's it, actually, just since we're on the topic. Nikita Kucherov, as you all may have heard, is having a hip surgery. Hmm. And the hip surgery is projected to keep him out for the duration of the regular season. But he's expected to return in time for the playoffs. And there was a certain amount of not unjustified cynicism in the response to this, where people said, hey, isn't it convenient that the Bolts, who are good enough to win a solid majority of their games, even without Kuturov, they get to put his salary on long-term injured reserve for the whole regular season, which is the only time that the salary cap matters. And then he pops back just in time for the playoffs. And that helps resolve their financial pressures that should have forced them to do some radical surgery on their team. And I think that the conversation about these sort of transactions, and you see a lot of them uh, in various forums or you know fake retirements or what have you, you see, one side saying, "Hey, this is obviously kind of a workaround for the sour cap," and the other side saying, "How dare you? He's really injured. How can you ever cast aspersions on the motive of an NHL hockey franchise, who, as we all know, are angelic entities that would never do wrong?" You know, it gets—it's a bit silly because I think the clear answer is in the middle, where you say, "Obviously, there's something that's an issue here for Kucherov."
0: Yeah, no one gets hip, no one gets hip surgery for fun.
1: Yeah. And all things being equal, if he were in pristine physical condition,
0: he would be playing. You want to have
1: Nikita Kucherov on your team. Yeah,
0: he's their best player and one of the five best players in the league.
1: Exactly. So, all of that is legitimate to point out and to say, you know, this is not something out of nothing. At the same time, if the Stanley Cup final were tonight, do I think Kucherov would be playing and, you know, putting off the surgery for a day? Probably. Does the fact that the timing seems to coincide with the end of the regular season, is that maybe a bit of a massaged recovery timeline? Yeah, maybe a little bit. I think it's one of those things where you have the seed of a clearly justifiable exemption to the salary Cap, but it's, like, around the edges in terms of the timing here, sure, I think some things are happening to benefit the Lightning.
0: Yeah. It's it's worth noting that, like, it is, like, mega illegal to force or to coerce someone into getting, like, a surgery or any sort of medical procedure.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, like, I'm, I'm fairly confident that if Kucherov is getting surgery, it's of his own volition.
1: Yeah, no, like, this is a legit thing. It's just, I do feel like a little bit it's...
0: Yeah, I'm, the timing, you know, yeah. it, it probably is a little bit convenient, right? Yeah. It, it's, but I doubt this was their first option. No, right. I th- I think this was like Plan Z,
1: mm-hmm. and for the record, I don't really begrudge them doing it. You know, we don't like, have a like to stand on or, exactly uh, because uh, So <laughs> yeah, not gonna throw stones. Just I I found uh, the back and forth on that one kind of weird because it seemed like people were were both obviously walking past the important point on the other side, which is a that it is real and b that it is probably timed. With salary benefit as a secondary thing, so mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, um, that was a bit farther afield. But coming back around to the Toronto Maple Leafs, obviously, you know, the first priority for this season is health. Yeah, that that is significant, and that sort of hangs over everything. The NHL for the record did run a bubble much more successfully than. Then I think we thought they'd be able to, and they mm-hmm. aren't having fans in Canadian arenas, which I think would be madness. Some of the American arenas apparently are going to do it, which...
0: Well, it, it's, it's yeah about... Uh, in Basically every um, kind of sporting league, teams mm-hmm. in California are, have moved essentially to Arizona because Arizona just doesn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Arizona's like, yeah, fuck it. We yeah. don't give a shit. Like, get fans here, have a party.
1: Yeah, libertarianism run amok. Woo!
0: But, uh... Um, yeah, it's bizarre to me. But, mm. whatever. Um, you know, not, that's a whole another podcast. Um, so, yeah, it, it's... I think the NHL is doing a somewhat reasonable job, but the reality is, you know, it's very hard to have something as, um... I don't want to say quite non-necessary because sports are, you know, a big business. They're, they're no more non-necessary than, I don't know, a a furniture store, Mm -hmm. right? Like, they're they're both just businesses that make money. It's just one is an entertainment business and one sells furniture. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you know, it's very challenging. It's going to be very challenging. There's going to be issues with COVID. Some teams are going to get hard hit, it seems, Um, just by, you know, playing the odds. It seems really unlikely that, you know, all 31 or all, I guess there's some shared cities in all like 28 cities or whatever, that there will not be a single outbreak or a single case. And once it gets into a locker room, it does seem really easy for it to spread, right? This is the league that routinely has teams, essentially not forfeit games, but like are clearly not themselves because there's a flu bug going around the team mm-hmm. or the league where mumps destroyed half the league at one point. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, you know, hardly uh, yeah, hardly an, a hygienic dream.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that they're... There are, you know, certain ethical concerns. Like I could understand someone saying, "I don't feel like I can watch the new season," just yeah, of the COVID. That that's it, a, a defensible fair. position. Uh, and, and you know, I also understand people saying this risk is somewhat balanced by health procedures, and that the idea is anyway that the risk is sort of consensual. That the risk in the background is not zero. You know if you had just this group of people
0: living regularly, yeah,
1: you know, you wouldn't have a zero incidence of COVID you would expect. So it it is, it's, it's a tough thing to, you know, square that up. I I have to admit, I'm not entirely using my own mind about it. And I'm kind of torn between that. And this has been a deeply bleak year in most respects. And I think this winter between January and March, where for one thing, this country is the absolute grimace to live in in terms of a weather sense Mm -hmm. and you know people will be feeling isolated i don't want to lean too much on the idea of sort of a collective psychological benefit but you know people are going to probably be glad to have something to focus on Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: so i don't know if, if that carries much water or if you just say like look it's a it's a circus we don't need it um but putting that aside and zooming back in on the hockey again it's the Leafs should, one, hopefully win a playoff round at least, but two, they should be the best team in the Canadian division. We talked about yeah. this before, and it's like, I'm willing to entertain arguments as to how any of Montreal, Edmonton, or Vancouver could finish ahead of them. And 56 games is not an enormous sample. Anything could happen. But on merit, the Leafs ought to be the best team. They just should.
0: Yeah, and and I think that also... Goes to what it means for them to be successful, because mm-hmm. obviously we, you know, playoff wins are are the currency in the NHL. Right, right. No, no one, no one's bragging about being a Sharks fan over the past decade plus, even though they've, you know, by most measures been one of the better teams in the league, even by playoff wins. But you know, ultimately, the currency is having lots of those wins and having cups when it comes down to it. Even playoff wins themselves aren't enough, but you know, as an intermediate step, will allow it mm-hmm. for for us, given that. You know, we haven't had much. We haven't had shit, so. Yeah. Um, But that said, if the Leafs, you know, kick ass in the regular season and then shit happens in the playoffs, that's still better than doing okay in the regular season and then, you know, the same thing happening. Um, I wouldn't say it's better than, you know, doing okay in the regular season than actually winning a playoff series just from a fan's perspective. But, you know, these regular season games actually mean something because, the Leafs should be, yeah, as you said, they should be a good team. They should be an elite team league-wide, mm-hmm. right? That's That should be the expectation. Um, now, do I think that's incredibly likely in terms of being an elite team league-wide? It, having a basis for comparison this year is going to be very, very hard. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think it's, it's incredibly likely just because I think, you know, we've – this is, you know, not entirely different to the team that was there last year, and – Unless you are really, really high on what happened specifically in, in kind of the Keith Leafs um, before they were super, super hurt, um, mm-hmm. you know, then I think it's hard to really say, okay, yeah, I'm quite confident this is an elite team. Maybe has that upside, but we need to see more um, but to be confident in that. And I, I, that's what I really want to see in the regular season, at least. I want to see a team that you look at and you're like, damn, that's a really good team. Like, that's a tough team to play against.
1: Yeah, and we've we've seen that too rarely from a team with the pretensions that the Leafs have mm-hmm. in recent years. There have been stretches, as you mentioned, that, you know, maybe two months under Sheldon Keefe. But realistically, this is not an especially young team anymore. I'm not saying that they're old and they're falling off a cliff, but also Neilander and Marner should be prime age now. They're basically
0: what they are. Like, they'll, yeah. they'll, they might make small gains or losses at the margins, but... We know what we're getting out of them year-to-year, year, I think, broadly.
1: Yeah. And Matthews should be approaching his, his peak soon, um, or at least getting to you know his best stage. And he's a fantastic player. He's probably the best player, at least in terms of potential to be among the very best in the league, that the Leafs have had in my lifetime. You know, I, I don't think Matt Sundin was as close to being best player in the world, capital letters, as Matthews. Could be this year. But we got to do something with that now. You know, you you want to see this team go out, take play to the opposition, put up numbers, but also maybe just look a little bit less impotent when you run into the St. Louis's of the world. Uh, You know, teams that grind you down with a, a solid cycle game. And we can see fewer of those stretches where the Leafs look like they couldn't find their way out of their own zone with a compass. You know, I, I know that this sounds like frust, frustrated rambling from a fan, but at some point, it's like, you got to show more. It's not enough to be just, eh, all right, not bad, and then to bow out in an elimination
0: game. Yeah, and again, so, like, the Leafs were pretty good under Keith, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, uh, A, I'd like to see that for a longer period of time, right? It's, you know, even if, I think even over his entire sample, right, it, you include the injured times as well. They they look good by the numbers, but there's also some. I, I can see an argument for why the numbers would possibly overrate them. Right, a lot of their shots are against set defenses with a lot of structure.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: a, not a lot, but certainly probably a greater majority of the opponent shots come on rushes and come on, um, come in situations where defender positioning makes them potentially more dangerous than it otherwise would have. Uh, the fact that we did kind of utterly fail to get where we needed to go against Columbus in the playoffs. You know, it's only five games, but those data points should not be taken out. Five games actually represents a pretty notable part of Sheldon Keefe's NHL coaching career.
1: Yeah. And it's worth noting, if we're trying to isolate, okay, what makes you good in the playoffs? Even if we have to say, look, it's a tiny ass sample, who knows? You still have to look at the playoffs. You know, that, that is in a sense your best data.
0: Yeah, uh, Uh, if
1: there's some sort of difference.
0: I remember in one of our uh, post-elimination pods, I compared Columbus to like an execution test Mm -hmm. in in, in video gaming, where it's like, anyone can get tripped up by Columbus, but if you want to actually assert yourself as, hey, I'm one of the best players, you have to make sure that basically, you know, you have a very, very low chance of that happening. Mm -hmm. Right? And as we saw, even with, you know, they did did this to Tampa Bay, and that was a better Columbus team right? Notably better Columbus team. They had Matt Duchesne. They had um, Artemi Panarin. They had Ryan Dezingle, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, like, it's, you know, it's Columbus. We're not talking about, you know, the, we're not talking about the 97 Red Wings or whatever it was.
1: Yeah. And in in paying appropriate respect to the opposition who were a better team than their record made them look like, Mm -hmm. and who are maybe ideally well-suited, as you were saying, to sort of play to a 50-50 proposition. Well, still, you don't want to cross over into saying, okay, and now Columbus is the best in the world. And I think that that kind of happened with the losses to Boston because Boston was legit yeah, a top three team in the league. And so in pushing them nearly even, you could make, I think, a defensible argument that they were, that the Leafs were showing up against the near best and that... That doesn't necessarily kind of preclude them from being a really, really good team. But
0: in, you know, playing down to Columbus, that is disappointment. That yeah. is, you know. Because Columbus is no one's idea of a contender. Yeah. As they're, respectable they're middle and tier, as so. good as they are, they're they're not a team that people were saying at the start of the year, oh, shit, got to watch out for those guys. It's like, oh, these guys are annoying. They're not going to be fun, but we should beat them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? That's what the elite teams do. Yeah. And again, to be clear, we're talking about the recent iteration of Columbus, not the Columbus that beat Tampa, which again was a notably better team. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, we've kind of hammered that point down. You, that's really by far the most important goal. Like the Leafs could do a lot of things not all that well this year, and if they win a playoff round, it will still be seen as the best season that they've had uh, in recent memory. Because, as you said, like, that's kind of how we keep score. There are trends that you'd like to see be positive. You know, if the Sheldon-Keefe Leafs that appear quite good offensively and maybe even just average-ish defensively, if that's sustained over 56 games, that's encouraging. Yeah, That makes it look like this could be the real deal. Um. You know, it's only really useful as it points to the potential for us to go and win some goddamn playoff games in the future. But it would be good; it'd be nice to see. You know, if if Brody can adjust and be the partner for Morgan Riley that we've been hoping for since, oh my lord, probably 300 years ago, um, that would be good. That would be encouraging. Um, so those are the kind of things you're going to want to look for. And if you're trying to believe that this could be the Leafs' year. You really want to hope we're getting as much as possible out of Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons and all of those other one-year buys that are quite clearly oriented towards winning now. Again, you know, Catch likes to talk about the perpetual rebuild mentality, where as a fan, you kind of protect yourself by saying, it's okay, the window is just opening or hasn't even opened yet, we're still working towards stuff, and you sort of instinctively want to make trades at the deadline. Like, this came up with the, the James Van Arimstick thing where the Leafs decided not to trade him and held on to him for the playoffs. And I think there are still some people who want to, to approach the team that way, just based on Matthews being fairly young. But the reality is this team has made decisions that are clearly oriented towards we're hoping to contend right now. As well they should, because they are in as soft a division opportunity as they're going to get possibly mm-hmm. for the rest of the decade.
0: Yeah, I think when it comes to those uh, ideas of you know trading Van Riemsdyk, uh when he was a pending UFA or trading Gardner, you know we we heard the same talk there. I think mm-hmm. it doesn't quite. I think it ignores the psychology of the players in that, and if you are, if you have players on your team who you have said who you've you know promised, hey, we're going to be here, we're going to give you a chance to win the cup. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Tavares wasn't on the team at that point, so it doesn't apply to him, but going forward, that certainly does. If you have a guy like Austin Matthews, who you you said, We're, you're the centerpiece of our franchise. With you, we are going to try and win games. We are going to try and win a cup. It's very hard to then look them in the eye and be like, yeah, we just traded a 30-goal scorer because he's a pending UFA, even though we seem like a pretty good team heading into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, it, it's just hard to square that because it's so at odds with winning now, and that's, that's what these pairs care about. Ha- and you have to... acknowledge You have to acknowledge that especially if you were concerned at all about austin matthews leaving in free agency
1: yeah that's the other thing is that uh, you know when people have this sort of rational actor attitude towards everything where it's either we're a top three team or we're nothing you know that's a scary proposition to have to deal with but the fact remains also it influences how people approach your franchise their willingness to sign with you to play for you You know, to waive their no trades to come here if it comes to that. Yeah, so I think the big takeaway here is that the Leafs are clearly trying to win this division. They should really be approaching this season as we have a shot at a cup this year. And I'm not saying that because I think that they are in the very top tier of the league. I don't. I've said as much the last million episodes in a row. But they should be the best team in the Canadian division. And if we do end up sticking with a playoff format where they they stay in Canada for the first two rounds, the Leafs should expect to be the best team in the first half of the playoffs, which again is not a chance that they've had really in a very, very long time and might not again for a while. So this really ought to be approached as a, we're seriously trying to contend here. So that's that's what I'm hoping Kyle Dubas brings at the table.
0: Yeah, and in, in a sense, Dubas, with his moves, has put heat on himself because he's not professing this perpetual rebuild idea. He's saying, we need mm-hmm. to win now, right? He, he, he's, in a lot of ways, it's interesting that Dubas is so controversial among the fan base in some ways. Um, and, and by that, I mean, I should say that, uh, you know, dumbasses seem to hate him. <laughs> which, which is not to say that, you know, if you criticize Cal Dubas, you're a dumbass because he's done things worthy of criticism, but, you know, partic- in particular, Dumbasses seem to have a really hard time with him. Um, <laughs> it's the
1: glasses, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah. But he, he's, he's spoken about this team in much the way a fan would. Mm. Right? He said, you know, what we've done isn't good enough. He, he said it comes down to the playoffs. He hasn't been like, oh, you know, look at, you know, how, look at our Corsi in the regular season or whatever. Look at how injured we are and whatnot. He, he's kind of been pretty direct in saying, yeah, we weren't good enough. We were embarrassed last year it was you know we need to fix it we need to make it better it starts with me whatever mm-hmm. and i don't agree with all of his moves but he's not playing scared yeah he's not right he 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 changed up the roster about as much as he could given the cap constraints um yeah and it it seems clear from the reporting that this is kind of the okay i'm giving this the the core here another run and th- if this doesn't happen then well either I'm dead either I'm fired i being dubis mm-hmm. or you know we have to start thinking about changing up the core and and yeah i think in that sense he he's behaved kind of in the way that a lot of people um would and and not in a way that is really protective of his moves so far or protective of his core or protective of his not sorry protective of the team i should say
1: right yeah and i think Hanging over that is, if this team goes out and they are, I don't know, the third best team in the Canadian division and they lose in the first round of the playoffs to uh, Montreal or whoever else. I think that there are going to be consequences and those consequences are going to be somebody big gets traded. It's possible it will also be Dubas getting fired, but I suspect this team has to show something this year. I don't think that there is a maybe wait another year after this one. If they they don't have to win at all for to justify their own existence as a franchise, but if there's no sign of progress, even out of this crazy kaleidoscopic year, there's no longer a margin where we get to say, okay, well things will be better next time around. Because yeah, and the changes at least help the Leafs as much as they hurt them in a lot of ways, I think.
0: Yes. And it's also worth pointing out that this year is going to be um heavy on excuses for from all teams. Yes. Right? It's there's, be there's weird and, there's going to be lots of opportunities for a team to say, oh, you know, we could have, if X, Y, and Z didn't happen, we would have been in a better spot. And in some cases, they'll be true. You know, if if your team gets infected with COVID three weeks before the playoffs, then yeah, you you know, that's a valid that's a valid excuse. Yeah. Um, but the Leafs also don't have a lot of, uh, I, I guess I'd say, credit in, when it comes yeah. to these sorts of things. because we don't have a history of success. So they get less allowance for even possibly legitimate issues mm-hmm. that, that may arise.
1: You know, I do. this is an aside. We've been talking about how crazy it is that anything could happen. But in the three major sports that have had championships since COVID really picked up, which is the NHL, the NBA, um, Major League Baseball, the consensus best team in each league won, I think, didn't they? The lightning the lakers and then the los angeles dodgers
0: uh i don't know enough about baseball to know but yeah i mean the lightning and lakers were were certainly on everyone's short list of contenders heading into the season
1: yeah this is something to to contemplate is you know for all the craziness talent seems to kind of have outed in that one but uh yeah anyway so there is a a certain amount of pressure here it's going to be in some ways a crazy season and I think a lot of people are going to be grateful for the distraction but yeah like that they're on the hot seat is how I put the Leafs now it's time to show something and that's important uh do you want to talk a bit about prospects and world juniors
0: uh sure so um to be clear I haven't watched any of the world juniors um (laughs) not for any you know particularly high-minded reason just haven't watched it because there's been other stuff going on Mm -hmm. um but they they are indeed happening. Canada beat up on, like, six German kids. That was... <laughs> then... Okay.
1: So, okay. First of all, Germany was playing at second in two days. But, like, that lineup was ravaged with COVID. And it's a mismatch to begin with. Like, Germany is, like, maybe the number eight hockey country in the world, give or take.
0: Yeah. And I mean, they're, they're, clearly, a they're a clear step. They're improving, but they're a clear step below Canada. Like, in a fully healthy game, Canada would still probably win comfortably.
1: Yeah. But that this turned into. Anyway, uh, I think that they should have a ten-goal mercy rule. Someone proposed this mm-hmm. online. I don't think that there's any value of letting the score get to sixteen-two. Even if you say, "Well, goal differential matters," it's like you can get to plus ten yeah. out of this, and then that's fine, and that's enough benefit for you. It's 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 hard not to feel for the, you know, the young players on the German team just because. They were so up against it that, you, you know, they didn't even really have an underdog's chance. It's like, you know.
0: Yeah, there's, you know, <laughs> it's the sheep in front of lion.
1: Yeah, like, th- this isn't fair, I guess is what I'm saying. And, and you know, it's it's one thing if it's, if, if they're healthy and then, you know, there's a chance where they can, you know, maybe stretch one out with a great goaltending performance. We saw at... Even the Olympics in 2014, Latvia gave Canada uh, the scare of the tournament by holding them to uh, zero goals for the first 45 minutes of the game. You know, like, crazy shit can happen. But a a game like this where it's just an absolute massacre and one team is clearly not in condition to be able to play, that's not fun.
0: It's awkward for the Canadian players, too. Not that they're the victims in this any sense, but, like, I, I imagine it wasn't incredibly fun for them.
1: They even said afterwards they were like, you know, we we felt like we had to keep doing good habits, but they stopped celebrating after goals and stuff like
0: yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I think I think they handled it fine. And from what I I I, did, I didn't um, see the U.S. game, but it, I imagine it was similar. And I I hadn't heard anything about like the U.S. being like, oh, being obnoxious and celebrate at that at that point. I think you have to yeah. keep playing, but you know, don't just don't show them up or anything. And I think both teams, you know, did that to the extent possible. It, it is just. It's a tough situation for, for them, uh, for the for the Germans. Yeah, it's it's also interesting how hockey brained they are already, um, because I think JJ Paterka, who's I think one of Germany's better players, he was just drafted. Mm-hmm. I forget by who, maybe Buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah, um, you know after the game, he's like, you know, we're not looking for excuses. We we needed to be. Better and we, we just didn't have the right habits. I'm like, bro, you, you could have had the habits of <laughs> fucking every Hall of Fame player ever. It would not have helped.
1: Yeah, like there is a. You bit. had
0: half a team and you were not as good as them. It, like, you, you can make excuses. It's fine. Yeah. It, but, it,
1: no one has had more excuses than you justly have here. Yeah. And you know, I'm, Germany is like a rising hockey country, too. You know, we we see Tim Stutzel, but we've seen Leandro Seidel. Mm-hmm. Um, at the NHL level, like, they're starting to build a genuine pro so hockey contention. So German,
0: too, isn't it? Sorry? Is it Grubauer German yep. as well?
1: Yeah, Grubauer is German. Yeah, so they they have, you know, the beginnings of a very respectable national hockey program. They've come a long way to get here, and I don't know. I, I guess it's it's just not very much fun to see yeah, that kind of shelling, so.
0: Yes, um... The, so with regard to the World Juniors, I, I should say, I-, I never root for Canada and the World Juniors. Um, I-, I made this mm. comparison to Fulhaman just before we went on, but it- it's a bit like rooting for the Empire in Star Wars, <laughs> where it's just, you know, they're the best, they're usually the best or among the best teams, you know, by far. You have all these plucky little underdogs who, you know, for most of them, this is the highlight of their hockey career. You know, a lot of them will maybe go to be uh, pros in second tier leagues, but in terms of Playing on a big stage, this is kind of where it tops out for a lot of them, and I think it's much easier to root for, for those guys, for the underdogs, and for the um, traditional hockey powers that also are have much smaller population bases to work with than uh, Canada, such as Finland, mm-hmm. for example. Um, but more importantly, I actually just root for Leafs prospects.
1: Yeah, and I gotta be honest with you, we were going through this, and I do generally cheer for Canada at the Olympics. I cheer for Canada full-throatedly, but yeah,
0: same. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just the World Juniors where it's like, it feels too unfair.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's like Team Canada has no Leafs prospects. Finland has several. If Finland wins a huge upset and it's a great tournament for you know Ronnie Hervonen and Doby Nimala, that will probably make me
0: happier than Canada winning for the billionth time. So Canada you also know. hasn't really had Leafs prospect. I, I guess Marner was a, a big prospect on Canada, but Marner was also. He was like you know tearing it up to such a degree in the OHL too that it was you know it's expected that he goes to this tournament and and lights it up and whatever. And before that, it, who was it? Was it Riley? I guess. But did Riley even play in the Road Juniors after he was a Leaf? Um, I don't remember. If, yeah, because that's, because that's there was a so the lockout year, right? And no, uh, uh, he must have played during that lockout year during, the Road Juniors during the lockout year. But then he wouldn't have played the year after because he was on the Leafs.
1: Yeah, he made the team quite young because well. Who else are we going to put ahead of him? But uh, yeah, and so the truth is is that the Leafs have not drafted kind of prominently out of Canada recently also. Like if you look at the big picks that they've had, obviously Matthews, it wouldn't have mattered because he was going to play for the Leafs forever, but he's American. Um, Nick Robertson is American. The Leafs actually just pulled him away from his world junior team to possibly come to training camp. Uh, Rasmus Sandin is Swedish and Rodion Amirov, who is in the tournament for Russia is obviously Russian. That was a poorly constructed sentence. Uh, so yeah, it, it kind of dilutes your nat- your national pride a little bit when it's like, well, it's better for the Leafs if the other teams do better, you know, I don't have a huge rooting interest in Canada right now.
0: So yeah, um, in terms of what's gone on so far, Katya had a really nice and detailed recap of mm-hmm. uh, the games that the least players have played, and, and from what I can tell, none of them have really lit it up on the score sheet so far. Um, mm-hmm. But the most interesting person to talk about, because he seems the most likely to actually be an NHL player by virtue of his draft position and his you know, pre-draft pedigree, which are obviously correlated, uh, Rodion Amirov. He mm-hmm. has not been, from what I've seen, a, a real standout in the tournament uh, in terms of you know, offense and whatnot. But what he has done well, apparently, is play in the neutral zone. He seems to be a very, very good neutral zone player, and this tracks with what we heard of him pre-draft. Kind of a, a puck thief, very good in transition, does not have the you know, elite high-end skill that you associate with you know, top 5, top 10 picks, mm-hmm. which is probably why he wasn't one of yes. those. But it, it it'll be interesting to see because you know this is this is very premature. But there's a bone there's the bones of a player who might end up being quite underrated at the NHL level if his skills translate in the same way. Right. Right. Where and, he could be a useful defensive and, tra- and puck transitioning player who does not pro- provide quite enough offense to make it into a top line, but can be a complementary player on you know a, a decent scoring line, and that's a useful player who might only put up 35 to 40 points and not be seen that high around the league relative to the actual value they provide to their teams. Right.
1: Which would be ideal for a million reasons for the Leaves, who obviously have the big name and big dollar value talent and who need that supporting cast to put around them as they hope to kind of keep rejuvenating the same core. So... You know, Kaccha talked about it's very easy to see him fitting in in the Leafs system also, which is the Sheldon-Keefe system, which is maybe a bit more cycle-heavy and less rush-heavy than what we saw under Mike Babcock most of his tenure. That's all encouraging stuff to hear. It it does sound like just from the year that he's had in general, Amirov is probably, I'm going to guess, two years out from the NHL. Obviously, these are very fuzzy timelines, but it sounds like he's going to go back to Russia for obviously the remainder of this year mm-hmm. and then possibly a year with the Marlies. And then we see where he's at. Um, certainly, I, I feel good about the pick for sure. I, I think that he was probably the best option. But at the same time, when you get picked 15th, as we were saying, it's not the same as being picked fifth. And it's probably going to take a bit more patience before he he really shows up at the NHL.
0: Yes, and, and to be clear, I do want to see more offense from him within this, the rest of the World Juniors Tournament. It, it seems as though um, his line has not really been able... They've been able to get into the zone, and then they haven't really been able to create great chances when they're in there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and he is, I believe, on the top line of Russia, or, or what, you know, certainly one of the top lines. He was playing with Vasily Podkolzin, who's a highly touted player in, in his own right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the expectation, you know, as the saying goes, it's a 19-year-old's tournament. Um, the expectation is that he, he is one of the leaders on one of the best teams in the tournament. So I, I'd like to see that going forward. But from what I have heard and seen through Twitter clips so far, um, he is kind of as advertised. Which yeah. is, which is um, you know, if you were happy with the pick, you know, six weeks ago, you're probably still happy with it now.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, we have um, several players on Finland. Uh, Roni Hervonen, who is a forward, and then Topi Nimla and Mikko Kokkonen, who are defensemen. Uh, Hervonen and Nimla were both just picked. Kokkonen was picked a year prior. Um, despite that, the impression I get from you know Cash's reporting and the general chatter is that Kokkonen did not impress to any great extent, and mm-hmm. Nimla actually looked pretty good, um, despite being younger. So. You know, I don't think any of them, obviously, should be projected as having star potential. They were both mid-round picks. All three of them were sort of end of second, early third, that sort of range. It's encouraging if you get any kind of complementary player out of them, and you're definitely seeing the kinds of defensemen that Calduba seems to like, who are maybe not the most physically gifted and not especially large by mm-hmm. conventional NHL standards, but that are high IQ players that seem to make a good, fundamentally sound play. This was the idea with Rasmus Sandin, too, who isn't going to overawe anybody with his athleticism, but who just seems to sort of make the right play a lot of the time. Right. That, that's that uh, kind of
0: nebulous quality of hockey IQ, but it's just the
1: capacity to do things without them having turned out to be mistakes that often.
0: Right. When when you see all the Leafs players at the World Juniors, you do kind of start to notice that pattern. And and I guess based on this off season, it, it seems like Dubis's mo is to kind of acquire the the Dubis type players in in the draft, and then pay for the kind of quote unquote toughness and truculence and pestilence and all that stuff <laughs> uh, in in free agency to the extent that you feel it's needed. At least that's what we've done this. Uh, Thus far,
1: Yeah, actually, you know, there's a very simple way to just look at that. But the players that Dubas drafts are very, very often in the 5'9 to 5'11 height range. And I know that this is simplistic. But so far as I can tell, the only skater that he drafted over six feet was William Villeneuve, who has apparently some deep skating flaws. So a lot of them were under six feet, which is considered short for a hockey player. But in free agency, we got Joe Thornton, 6'4", Wayne Simmons, 6'2", Jimmy Vesey, 6'3". A very different kind of cast of player. And so you you do wonder if that's... I think the stereotype on Dubas has maybe been that he doesn't value size to the same extent, and I don't think that that's true. It's, as we were saying, maybe just he feels that you're better off acquiring it through the bargain bin in free agency than prioritizing it on draft day. So that's, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a trend you can sort of spot through uh, his picks here to four. Um, it's certainly, it's, it's encouraging, I guess, that the Leafs are, you know, showing quite a few prospects at this tournament. And that they seem to be, for the most part, performing decently well. Considering yeah. that
0: the Leafs haven't had that many high picks,
1: you know, in the last couple of years.
0: Right. It it would be interesting to see Robertson at this tournament, um, mm-hmm. but that's not happening. So I mean, that boat sailed. With no point dwelling on it any any, any further.
1: Yeah. And, well, the reality is, we would be expecting him if he came to kind of wreck shut. Like, yeah. The he, idea would have to be that he's nearly beyond the skill level. Of the it tournament. would be
0: disappointing if he wasn't one of the team, one of the best players in the tournament. If Robertson exactly. was here, right? Yeah. Like that would be the expectation. Very very high expectation. In a sense, um, this almost protects him in some way. And I don't think this is the reason that the Leafs ultimately blocked it. I think, you know, we can take what they said at face value, that they want him to prepare for training camp and whatnot. But, like, in a sense, Robertson's stock can only go down.
1: Yeah, until he gets to a level where it's clearly a raised level of play. The truth is we know that he can play against people under age 20 and be fantastic. His ability to do that at such a high level at the OHL suggests he can probably do it at the World Juniors. So yeah, uh, that's kind of where it's at. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see if any of the Leafs has a real dynamite showing, uh, out there. Canada. I I mean, Canada is probably rightly the favorite every single tournament at the world juniors. That doesn't mean they always win, Mm -hmm. but they tend to be the heavyweight. So we'll see, but it's, you know, if you have single game knockoffs, anything can happen.
0: Yep. Uh, Trap up Do you want to just talk quickly about uh, Ottawa's trade.
1: Yeah, so this was an interesting little transaction that Ottawa did this when we thought we were safe. Uh, they traded a second round pick to the Arizona Coyotes for Derek Stepan. This is interesting cuz Stepan now he's been in decline so far as we can measure in recent years. He's also been in Arizona in recent years and so distinguishing between those two trends. Yeah, they're it may not be difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um by name recognition, I think that almost anyone would expect Derek Stepan to now be the best center on the Senators. I'm not saying that he's performed at that level, and there have been some stats people saying he's actually not that at all anymore. But Derek Stepan was a quite respectable second line center not that long ago, and Ottawa's center situation after him is either totally unproven or very dire.
0: Yeah, so their centers. I'm looking at it now. Are Colin White, Chris Tierney, Josh Norris, and Alex Galchenyuk. Um, yeah, not n- n- I would say no. I'm not comfortable saying anyone there is even ab- an above average NHL center. Yeah. Maybe Colin White can be. I know there's some hype around him. Uh, Ottawa gave him kind of one of those Ottawa long-term deals in the hopes that he will he'll boom and then it'll be a value deal. Kind of Arizona does the same thing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um but I haven't been that impressed when I've watched them. I don't know his stat line that well, but I I doubt it's incredible. Um, it's not. Yeah. So <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. Like it's, they 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 really need someone down the middle, and I can see how they talk themselves into this by saying, okay, as you said, Stepan's not far removed from being a pretty solid player. Um, he's you know has a good reputation as a leader, all that stuff. Give him, uh, give him a chance to play. You know, big minutes with some young developing players, help them out off the ice, all that sort of thing, insulate people um, from tougher minutes, and maybe it's valuable. It's just he doesn't seem to be that good anymore from how we can measure A second round pick might have been an overpayment in that sense.
1: Right. And so, so, you know, the question is how much is it worth it for those things, which are very hard to measure from a yes. developmental perspective. This makes Ottawa better. It doesn't make Ottawa any good, in my estimation, unless they get... A huge showing from the young players. You know, Joshua Norris, who we mentioned, he does have very impressive AHL numbers. Like, he looks like he's knocking on the door at the NHL. Maybe if he turns into something, this team could be a little bit surprising. You know, like, if you really, really squint, and by squint, I mean, like, basically close your eyes entirely. So this is a bit aggressive, but... You can sort of see how Ottawa sneaks up the standings. If Matt Murray has a great year... Their young players come into their own, guys like Dodonov and Stepan show well in heavy minutes. And then you say, well, it's you know, the Canadian division is not all that deep. Maybe Ottawa somehow becomes like the fourth best team in there on record or something. But like realistically, this is still the weakest line lineup, I think, of the seven teams. And Stepan doesn't fix that. So
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um in terms of salary, if it, I saw some people kind of memeing on um, the Senators for because Stepan, I believe, has a much lower salary than Cap Hit. Yes, he does. Right? Um, which, I mean, it is in keeping with their MO, but it also actually just makes sense. You know, every team is broke now, so if you, yeah. can, if you can get a bargain, go for it.
1: I think the theme of a lot of the dunking on Eugene Melnick, and to be clear, that I've participated in too, is that he clearly doesn't have all that much money. And so that generates a lot of problems for his team. But if this is the reality that he's living in, where he doesn't have that much money, he probably shouldn't spend it in a year like this, where the team is going to be kind of bad anyway. You might as well try and keep yourself on a soundish financial footing insofar as you can do so, or at least... Limit the bleeding that you're going to suffer in this year where you're going to lose money anyway. And on probably, you know, makes the team better, has some value. Maybe can be flipped again at the trade deadline if it comes to that. You know, I don't think it's by any means irrelevant that they got a guy whose real salary owing is much lower than his cap hit. But uh, yeah, I don't think that it's actually stupid of them to approach it this way. Yeah. You know, it's it's fine. Arizona, I think, is kind of acknowledging what was really apparent, which is that they're awful. And, you know, maybe it's time to start recouping assets where you can start building up for the draft because they don't have a first or a third this year. Um, Man, that team is a tire fire. But mm. anyway,
0: yeah, we so talked just, about that a lot. Just to wrap up on Ottawa, I think... By far the the most important thing for them this year, if Tim Stutzel plays in the NHL, it's how good does Tim Stutzel look, mm-hmm. and uh, is the, I think the other big question is, were we were we right to commit money to Matt Murray? And you don't get a definitive answer on that this year, but if he has a rebound year, then that looks like an actually you know defensible move, and if he continues his downward slide, then that looks like an albatross really really quickly.
1: Yeah. Although you know what. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, no, I mean, there's no way it's it's good to to have bad goaltending from the guy that you've selected as your starter, but in some ways, the best outcome from Ottawa this year would be to look good, but win rarely. You know <laughs> what I
0: mean? Like you... Yeah, like kind of have a 52% Corsi but a uh, 750 on I say percentage.
1: Yeah, or like have everyone's shooting go into the toilet
0: for a year, well, you know? I mean, you say that, but I think one thing that actually is really important for them is to figure out if Brady Kachuk is actually just a bad finisher sure, or yeah. just getting unlucky. <laughs> yeah, he's... I was
1: thinking that too because I was like, you know, that also. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. a bit
0: like the the Nylander thing the last few years where it's like we, we just kept getting more and more evidence that he, he wasn't a particularly great shooter. Now, he he changed that last year and mm-hmm. now we have some evidence that he is a good shooter. And when it comes to Nylander anyways, the future is, is flouty to use my magic eight ball. Um, <laughs> I like it. With, with Kachuk, yeah, it If Kachuk is even a league average shooter, he becomes one of the the better forwards in the league. Yeah. He's been so bad as a shooter that it undercuts a lot of the other really good things he provides. But it's Mm -hmm. unclear whether that's, you know, real or fake. Yeah.
1: Or how much better it might get with improved line mates. And, you know, maybe Derek Stepan is the beginning of answering that question. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And they do have Evgeny Dadonov, who I think will help out um, Kachuk... Because Kachuk's weakness, I think, you know, even though his offensive game in terms of play driving and, and shooting, is, or at least getting shots away, is good, he's not a great passer or puck character. He, he's really good on the four check. He's really good in tight um, and kind of getting his stick on pucks and winning those board battles and whatnot. But he's not, you know, a finesse player. He's not someone who will make a killer pass or have a great 1v3 zone entry. Um, mm-hmm. Dodonov has some of the skills to do that. And that might that might help Kachuk a bit,
1: right? So, I guess we'll see if that uh, that does much for them going forward. You know, it's it's a development year, yeah, for sure,
0: very much so. Right. So yeah. All right, cool. So I think that's pretty much all we had to discuss. I think the next time we do this, it'll be right on the eve of the Leaf season. So we'll mm. do maybe a quick preview pod, you know, talking about the other teams in the division briefly, and then we'll be back into the swing of things hopefully.
1: Yeah, so we have we almost survived the, the direst off-seasons? of Because uh, we've had like a double off-season in 2020 and we've had to fill content. So yeah. if you've still listened to us this far, God bless you. We promise the content
0: will be getting better from here.
1: <laughs> we'll have things to talk about again. It'll be delightful.
0: Yes. Um, so thank you all for listening. You can find all of mine and Fuleman's work at com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RVNATFulliman. We will see you in a couple weeks.